It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no. But angel hair pasta, Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. It's episode 88 of the podcast, and it's in the middle of a heat wave. It's summer, which means if you're listening to this podcast like me, you are a sick individual. You can't get enough because it is not hockey season, but it really never stops, does it? I mean, honestly, it doesn't stop because I'm going to be going to an arena on Saturday this week uh, as I record this. So uh, we love hockey in the summer. There's no better place to cool down during a national heat wave than a, a cold ice arena. And then walking out into the heat, uh, it's it's going to be, it's gonna be a, a, an assault on the senses for me. But I'm willing to do that for you guys because there is a lot going on. At the end of July, beginning of August, we kind of have the unofficial start of the following season. And that happens with the World Junior Summer Showcase, the Holinka Gretzky Cup, and then obviously that moves into rookie camps and preseason and then everything else. Then we've got college hockey in October. we got junior hockey starting their preseason in September. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that is happening throughout the next couple of months. So we don't get much of an offseason, certainly not in the prospect game. We will kind of take things a little bit slower on the podcast here for the next couple of weeks. I won't be on next week, but we'll have another one the week after that. We'll go every other week until the start of the season, and then we'll get right back into that weekly cadence. So lots to talk about. We are going to talk about the World Junior Summer Showcase. We are going to talk about the Holinka Gretzky Cup. There is a massive college hockey recruiting date that we need to talk about, which we will later in the show, as well as some of the more recent developments in hockey recruiting, some very big commitments in the last couple of days. And it'll just kind of help us set the table for this fun time at the kind of the we're still right in the middle of summer um, and we don't want to we don't want to end summer too quickly but we do have to start getting ready for the next season and we're going to do that here before we get into that just want to remind you if you haven't yet you can follow this podcast in a variety of ways maybe one of the easiest ways to download it so that you always have it on your phone you never miss an episode make sure you are subscribed on your podcast app of choice you can also watch us every week on flowhockey.tv and also on the Flow Hockey YouTube channel. So plenty of ways to interact with this podcast. You can also hit me up on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now. That is at Chris M. Peters, and that is where you can ask me questions because I will, as at the end of this episode, as I always do, answer some listener questions. Plenty to get to, but now we're getting ready to start this next season. And so I, I actually want to start with a little bit of news that is kind of in the process of happening. It's not official yet, but I do want to start with this because it is World Junior Championship and World Junior Summer Showcase related as we are still waiting on official word. But as we are recording this podcast, indications suggest that Logan Cooley, the number three overall pick in the 2023 NHL draft, is close to signing his entry-level contract with Arizona. Now, that is a change in plans for Cooley, who had previously said that he was going to return for his sophomore season. Now, Cooley was a Hobie Hattrick finalist last year, one of the top scoring players 
in all of college hockey, led Minnesota within a goal of the national championship. They, of course, fell in dramatic fashion to the Quinnipiac Quinnipiac Bobcats in the national championship game. And Logan Cooley, it seemed like he was going to go back for his sophomore season. That kind of started to change a little bit more. At least we got wind that it was starting to change when he talked to Craig Morgan of PHNX um, and just a phenomenal NHL reporter who, you know, asked Logan about his plans for the season and getting ready. And Cooley basically dropped the hint that I'm not 100% going back to Minnesota next year. We're still talking with the Coyotes and seeing what's going to happen. Well, as we sit here, the deal is not done, but I'm guessing by the time this podcast drops, Logan Cooley will be an Arizona Coyote and no longer a member of the Minnesota Golden Gophers program. That is a pretty significant loss very late in the game. It puts the Gophers in a bit of a bind because you thought you were going to have your number one center, and maybe now you don't, and that is definitely going to be troubling for head coach Bob Motzko and others. They have a great recruiting class coming in, led by guys like Sam Renzel, Oliver Moore, two Chicago Blackhawks prospects that were first-round draft picks. You know, they have some top quality players kind of in the wings, um, but they're going to have to scramble a little bit and make sure they find the right fit for somebody to fill in. And you obviously can't replace a Logan Cooley. You're already trying to replace almost an entire decor with a lot of veteran talent that is gone. Ryan Johnson, Jackson Lacombe, Brock Faber, all gone. You know, they still have some guys that are, are returning there, but now all of a sudden Minnesota is like, Hey, we, we have a chance to win a national championship with Logan Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud and, you know, the incoming class and, and some of the guys that are, are returning for 50 years and different things like that. And now the Cooley situation kind of pops up. Now, this also puts Team USA and the World Junior Championship for a bind because you look at Logan Cooley and odds are he was going to be the number one center for this team. He was invited to the World Junior Summer Showcase, declined the invitation. And now that he's signing with Arizona, perhaps we have a little bit more evidence as to why he turned that down. Now, you know, I think that there was always a possibility that Cooley was going to turn pro and be a one and done. What changed in the last couple of months since he had committed to coming back? I'm not really sure. You know, there is still uncertainty about where the Arizona Coyotes ultimately are going to play in the future. They can't, you know, they're they're currently playing at Arizona State University at, at Mullet Arena, but that's not a permanent situation. I think that the uncertainty of the team may have caused Cooley a little bit of, you know, uh, consternation and maybe said, hey, like I can go back to school, get another year of development, you know, let everything kind of let the dust settle and and go. I think, you know, he was able to be convinced by Arizona, especially at development camp just a couple of weeks ago, that, hey, now's the time to turn pro. And they certainly need him. You know, it's not like they they need young players. They need guys that are going to be part of the solution in the desert as they try to build something there. And Cooley is a centerpiece of that team. He's the number one prospect in their system. He's, you know, one of the best players that came out of the 2023 draft, at least at this very early stage. Um, you know, he's a player that I had number one going into that draft because I think he's one of the most dynamic, skilled players. Um, and, you know, you look at the impact that Jack Hughes has had in his career. You look at some of the other undersized players that play with such pace like Cooley does. And I'm sure Jack Hughes is a little bit instructive to him in terms of how he's going to play. And, you know, he's going to get an opportunity. But now Team USA, who is going into their selection camp, which we're going to talk a lot more about here in a couple of minutes, they, they have to start preparing. And this it's good that it happened before eval camp because now you can start trying different guys out in, in their positions. But, you know, you lose your number one center. And Logan Cooley was the leading scorer on the team last year. He was a very integral part of that team. And it was, you know, a guy that you're, you really needed something from um, in this tournament. And, and, you know, I think the U.S. is a very – considerable, you know, I wouldn't call them the favorite, but they are certainly a team that is absolutely in the mix to win the gold medal. And even more so with the Logan Cooley, that just adds more depth, gives you more options at center. But I think there's enough talent to overcome that loss because you, you, but you got to kind of move guys around a little bit. And now guys get moved up the lineup. So it's an interesting situation, but that's not to say like, there is also the possibility that Logan Cooley gets loaned back to Team USA. We'll see what the Arizona Coyotes are doing. We'll see how Logan Cooley's development is going. But the Coyotes did loan Dylan Gunther back to Team Canada last year. Gunther ends up scoring the game-winning goal in the gold medal game in overtime. 
You've got, um, you know, Shane Wright was sent back, played in, and captained that Canadian team at the World Juniors. So there is precedent for, for that. So USA may not be without Logan Cooley, but I think you have to prepare as if he's not going to be available to you because I, I fully expect Logan Cooley to be a day one player for the Arizona Coyotes. And then I expect him to be an important piece of their team and, and probably developing at enough of a pace where they say, hey, let's keep you in the NHL. No need to go back to the World Juniors. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, Logan Cooley is a two-time World Junior player. Played in the Summer World Juniors last year, played in the winter. You know, Team USA did win a bronze medal. He was a big part of that team. And now they have to move on without him. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about World Juniors and the World Junior Summer Showcase, which is going to get going in Plymouth, Michigan this week. Later this week, players will arrive, I believe, on Friday or, or Thursday and then they will start going. There will be a team from Finland and a team from Sweden there as well. Team USA has been split into two teams, USA White and USA Blue. The way the schedule is set up, they are not going to cut things down and, and combine the teams, which is something they've done a little bit more frequently in recent years in the summer. They will continue with the split squad. So the U.S. has a very big roster. They've got a lot of players that are coming. Um, obviously, now they won't have they, – they were never going to have Logan Cooley in camp. But now they have some some options. So what I wanted to talk about, in addition now, now that we know that the likelihood of Logan Cooley being available to Team USA is less than it was before, how do you fill that void? Well, there's a lot of options. I mean, Team USA has got plenty of centers. You know, this also kind of puts the focus on Cutter Goche and the role that he's going to play for Team USA. Last year, he was a wing with Cooley and Jimmy Snuggerud. Jimmy Snuggerud, who played with Cooley at Minnesota, and then at the World Juniors, that line was outstanding, and it was one of USA's more consistent lines. Um, but I actually thought that Cutter Gauthier played his best hockey at the end of last season as opposed to the World Juniors. He played for the Men's World Championship team, played in the wing on, in that tournament as well. But he was a center all year at Boston College. And so, you know, the, the Philadelphia Flyers drafted him fifth overall, believed that he was going to be a center, and I think that Team USA could potentially have him in that position as well. Um, with Logan Cooley out, it creates a little bit of a void, and I think that you want Cutter Goche to be playing a lot and having the puck a lot, and he'll do that at the center position. So we'll see if that, you know, what role he plays. That'll start in camp. But then there's also guys that can step up. Will Smith will be an option down the middle. Um, Charlie Stramer will be an option down the middle. Probably lower in the lineup, though. You know, a guy that's a returning player. They have centers in the mix, and there are guys that are going to be able to kind of fill some of those voids um, there, you know, having Oliver Moore, as I mentioned, you know, to, to play in the center position, you know, they're going to, the Frank Nazar is back as well. Um, you know, will he end up down the middle? There's a lot of different ways that they can kind of go with that, but, you know, losing Cooley, you lose a bit of a dynamic element. Um, I still think this team is exceptionally skilled with guys like Will Smith, Gabe Perot, um, you know, uh, uh, some of the others that I mentioned, Nazar, um, you know, we'll see is Isaac Howard get more firmly in the mix now as an option. He, you know, he didn't make the team last year. You know, can he be a guy that fills fills in? But there are going to be players who are going to have to step up. But I think a lot of pressure ends up on the shoulders of Will Smith, the number four overall pick from the most recent NHL draft and the San Jose Sharks prospect. You know, I think that because he's been a number one center, he had a tremendous under 18 world championship where he nearly set the uh, single tournament record for the U.S., uh, you know, got very close to Jack Hughes there. Um, and I, I think that that's a really impressive thing that that Will Smith did. And I think that resonates. And we'll see if that's the kind of role that he's going to play for Team USA going forward here. But, you know, I'll tell you what, the, the, the depth at forward is really the strength of this team, I think. You know, I, I think having guys, a lot of returning players is really important. You've got, you know, Rutger McGroarty. You've got Charlie Stramel, Jimmy Snuggerud coming back. Um, you know, Cutter Goche, who we mentioned. Gavin Brindley, who played a, a, a role down the lineup and in a penalty-killing role. And then you have some of those other guys that you can filter in. Cole Eiserman, an underager, going to be in this tournament. James Hagens, another one in that, you know, could could both of them make Team USA? Logan Cooley's absence makes the, the need for more dynamic element players on their roster, and that creates a little bit more of an opportunity. I think Eiserman has a real good chance to be on there. He had 69 goals last season at the National Team Development Program. So, you know, goal scoring is not necessarily going to be a fear for this team. 
But I'll be interested to see how other players step up. You know, Quentin Musty, who played in the Holinka Gretzky Cup last year, played in the OHL, first-round draft pick of the San Jose Sharks. He's got an opportunity in front of him to make this team. He's a bigger forward, plays a little bit of a heavier style, has a playmaking ability. You know, Team USA needs that. There's not a ton of size up front. You know, that's why you look at guys like Charlie Stramel, Jimmy Snuggerud, Cutter Gauthier, they're going to play pretty outsized roles on this team. Then you've got some of the other guys like Ryan Leonard, and, and Will Smith and Gabe Perot, where do they fit in? What kind of roles are they going to play? Gavin Brindley, does he play higher up in the lineup this time around? Frank Nazar, is he back to health? Is he 100%? Can he be that dynamic player that we saw in his draft season? You know, I think he came back from injury last year in Michigan, and that's a guy that you know we're, we're just kind of waiting to see. Is he going to be able to take that next step? Is he fully recovered, fully healthy? Because when he is, he's a solid player. So USA has plenty of options. Where it's a little bit more wide open, is on the blue line. And that's going to be fascinating to watch as well. They're they're returning three players, although Seamus Casey didn't play in the tournament. Um, but Seamus Casey, uh, Ryan Chesley, um, and, uh, or sorry, Seamus Casey was one of the last cuts from Team USA. And then Lane Hudson and, and Ryan Chesley are the only two returning defensemen. Now, Team USA has, you know, with Chesley, with, um, with Chesley and with Hudson, You've got players that, you know, are, you know, with Hudson, he's below average in size. Chesley more on the average side. There's there's not a lot of, you know, kind of variety of size, though. But that kind of makes it so you look at guys like Sam Renzel, Chicago Blackhawks first-round pick. You know, he's still very – he's he's a long-term project. I think if you're a Chicago Blackhawks fan he doesn't make this team, don't freak out because there's still a lot of development time ahead for him. But – a player his size with his skating ability, his ability to move pucks, you have to view him as a, as a real potential option for you. Same with Garrett Brown, who I think is a solid defender. He's played you know some good high-level hockey. He's a fourth-round draft pick of the Winnipeg Jets. That's a guy where you say, okay, we, we like the big frame. We like his defensive style. We think he can fit in. You know That's big for him. Um, guys like Jackson Dorrington is another one where you know he's kind of got a lot to prove uh, to be there. But, you know, I mean, that's the thing is this this team has to find ways to kind of manufacture balance in their lineup. A lot of their defensemen are sub six foot defensemen. And I think that in this tournament, it's really hard to win that way, even though the U.S. will be able to play at a higher pace. If you if you put the focus on puck moving and speed, you have a chance. But I think you look at the, you know, Canada, you look at some of the other teams that will have size to their advantage and play a heavier game. You have to be prepared for that. You know, I think Sweden's going to who's hosting the tournament. They're going to have a team that's got a good mix of size and skill in their group. You know, they're going to have really good defensemen. They're going to have some guys that play with a little bit more edge. They're going to have good goaltending. So, you know, you really need to find ways to cut through. And quite frankly, this age group for defensemen is not the strongest, not the not the 05s, not the 04s. You know, you move on. You don't have guys like uh, Jack Hughes, or sorry, Luke Hughes. I went through the entire Hughes family there. You know, so you you have to move other guys into those roles. And, you know, I think Lane Hudson is going to play a substantial role on this blue line. He played at the men's world championship, you know, but the thing is, is are you going to have him in the heaviest minutes? Are you going to have him playing 23 minutes a game? Not necessarily certain that that's the best use of him. You know, Ryan Chesley has to step up. I think Seamus Casey, who was just on the cusp of making the team last year, ended up not making it. I think is 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 a guy that should have a chance to do that this season. You know, to to be there and to be that dynamic puck moving skating element that he brings to the table. Um, but you know, this is a this is a blue line that's going to have to find ways to be balanced because they have so many good puck movers and good skaters. But do they have enough guys that are going to be able to defend stoutly? They're going to be able to make it tougher on the opposition, and that's going to be the question. What alleviates some of those concerns, however, is the goaltending position. And in this camp, you've got Trey Augustine, who's the incumbent starter. He basically earned the number one role at the World Junior Championship. His last two games didn't go so great there. However, you've got a guy that's coming off of a major confidence boost, winning the Under-18 World Championship, where he was one of the biggest reasons his team won the gold medal. Uh, Team USA played terribly against Sweden. In that gold medal game, Trey Augustine kept a minute, kept them in the mix. They tie the game late. They win it in overtime. He gets to celebrate a gold medal after 
some agonizing defeats earlier in his career as a young player. And you have to appreciate the mental toughness that it took to overcome that. But I don't think the starting job is, is Augustine's automatically. I think there will be a competition. And I think there's really only one player that's a viable competitor to him among the five goalies they've brought to this camp. And they're going to be on opposite teams. So that's going to, there's going to be some head to head here that I think is going to be really fascinating. That's Jacob Fowler drafted by the Montreal Canadiens. He is the defending Clark cup champion. So he, he won the Clark cup championship with the Youngstown Phantoms last year. He was the MVP of the playoffs with a 952 save percentage. And then he was also the USHL goaltender of the year. He has good size. He has definitely the hockey sense and the ability to stop pucks and the ability to play in those high pressure situations, looking completely unbothered. I thought that, you know, half the games that he played in the playoffs, I felt like he didn't even break a sweat um, with the way that he just kind of handled everything. And so that's going to be an opportunity. He has an opportunity in front of him to prove himself. And this camp is the very first option to do that. So to, to have an opportunity like that, if you are Jacob Fowler, is a pretty, it's a pretty impressive thing to do. And, and so the summer is one thing. He's going to go to Boston College. He's going to have to play well there. Trey Augustine's going to have to play well at Michigan State. You know, there's, there's a whole first half of the season that goes with it. But set the tone in the summer right now. Stake your claim. If you're Jacob Fowler, stake your claim that, yes, I have every right to believe that I can be the number one goalie for Team USA at this tournament. But it is going to be a tall order to get the guy that has already played in the tournament, has played in two under-18 world championships, and had uh, a heck of a run last year and was a, you know a second-round draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings in Trey Augustine. So, that's Team USA's camp. I will be there for the entire camp. I will have plenty of reports on Flow Hockey. You can read them all at flowhockey.tv. Um, I will be doing some notebooks, some scouting reports. I'll probably do a full recap afterwards, a projected roster when all is said and done. But boy, it is an absolute amazing event. The, the World Junior Summer Showcase. Sweden has a really good team coming. They, they did change their roster a little bit. So it it's not quite as exciting as it was when they initially announced it because Jonathan Lekaramaki, Liam Ogren, and Noah Oslin all are not there, but there's still a number of first-round draft prospects that are going, including Axel Sandin Pelica, Theo Lindstein, uh, Fabian Liesel. That's going to be a good roster. Finland is bringing two of the top 2024 NHL draft prospects with them, Aaron Kibiharyu and um, and Consta Hellenius, who, two guys that are going to be Big time prospects within the uh, 2024 draft. I had them both in my uh, my early top 10. Um, I think there's a lot of skill in both of those players. And uh, Hellenius had a really strong showing last year in Finland's pro league um, as such a young player. So those guys, instead of going to the Helenki Gretzky Cup, are going to the World Junior Summer Showcase. So I think there's a lot to like about those two players. And uh, we'll get a chance to see them here at the World Junior Summer Showcase. Um, and yeah, so follow along with Flow Hockey's coverage. We'll also be doing a ton of World Junior coverage all first half of the season, and I will be on site for the tournament as well. Cannot wait for it. As you guys know, if you've ever followed this podcast for more than five minutes, I love the World Junior Championship, and I'm really thankful uh, that Flow loves it too because we are going to go uh, knock, it, knock it out of the park with our coverage, and hopefully you will stick with us the whole way through. All right, I went on way longer than I wanted to on the World Junior Summer Showcase, but obviously, as you guys know, I love talking about it. We're going to move on to talk a little bit about the Holinka Gretzky Cup. And now the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which is one of the big 2024 NHL draft evaluation events, it is starting on Monday. So July 31st is when the tournament will start. Team USA, Team Canada are there. The Canadian roster, I mean, they are the heavy favorites. A ton of star power in that roster. Not only do you have a top 2024 draft prospect or a couple in guys like Sam Dickinson and Berkeley Catton, you also have uh, guys that are draft eligible in 2025, most notably 2007-born Michael Misa, who got exceptional status to play in the OHL last season. And so he is there. Uh, as well, um, there are a couple of other really strong 2024 defensemen, Henry Muse, Zane Parak. Um, you know, there, there are a bunch of 
really good players there. And I'm fascinated to see how this Canadian roster kind of shakes out. They ran through the tournament last year on home ice. They're going to be in Slovakia uh, to start this tournament this year, and they will open their tournament um, on Monday. So really looking forward to seeing what that group has to offer. The nice thing about this upcoming draft season is that we've got some more, more data points for these players. I feel, you know, during COVID, a lot of guys got disrupted. Um, you know, we talked a lot about last year, it was a real down year for the OHL um, in terms of draft prospects. There weren't as many top end guys. This year, it's opposite. I mean, most of the Canadian defense is, is from the OHL. They've got a lot of OHL, you know, top quality guys, some of the best 2005 NHL draft prospects also from the OHL and, and Porter Martone and, and, uh, um, and Malcolm uh, Spence as well. So, you know, you've got guys that are, you're getting a, a great look at the future. Team USA, the, the U.S. roster, they don't send the national team development program. So the under 18 team that plays the world under 18 championship does not play in the Holinka Gretzky cup. And as a result, that gives opportunities to a lot more players. I believe it's 12 uh, players that are on this year's roster did play in the USHL last season. They got some games and got some minutes in the USHL. Um, and so that's very good for them. Um, you know, getting that experience, it's, it's really tough to go from the high school level or the prep level or the AAA level into the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Um, even though it's a summer hockey tournament, you're talking about a ton of top quality guys that are going to be available um, you know, for other, for other teams. And so you have to raise the level of game that you have. And, th and that's really where I think, you know, USA is going to have to step up and it's going to be on a lot of guys to, to make some, some, some big moves, but you look at team USA and, and, you know, they've got some, some high quality USHL players, Max Swanson, who uh, is from Alaska plays for the Fargo force. He was one of the top scorers in the playoffs last season. He also was uh, only the third player ever that was age 16 or younger to make the World Junior A Challenge roster, helped Team USA win there. That level of experience is so important. Now, Swanson's not a big guy, but he's highly skilled. He's got some quickness. He's going to be a very important player for Team USA, as will Trevor Connolly. Um, he's, he's probably, you know, he played for the Tri-City Storm last year. Um, he is a very good draft prospect. However, um, if you know anything, you know, start talking to scouts. There are some concerns. Um, we will dive into that another time. Um, but he is part of Team USA, and he will be a, an important player for them, uh, basically because he had really good USA, a really good USHL season. He's committed to Providence College, um, and that is a player that you know will get scouted heavily, but also scrutinized heavily for uh, more off-ice reasons than on-ice reasons. Um, also coming to Team USA, Will Felicio uh, played for the Madison Capitals last year, set the record for uh, most points by an under-17 defenseman in the USHL um, last season with 28. You know, he's a guy that could be a, a pretty important offensive defenseman for Team USA, a guy that's going to have to move a lot of pucks. Um, some of the guys from outside of the USHL, um, Aiden Park, who played at Shattuck St. Mary's, he did get a couple games with the Green Bay Gamblers last year. It was a high phase one draft pick. Um, in the USHL, Aiden Park, big time player from California. He's got a lot of uh, skill. There's an expectation that he's going to be able to be a, a big contributor offensively here, just as William Whitelaw was last year out of Shattuck St. Mary's. And then AJ Spellacy as well uh, from the uh, from the Windsor Spitfires. He got injured last season, but he's big. He's athletic. He's actually a former football player. Um, you know, so he's going to be a guy to keep your eye on. Scouts are very intrigued by him because there was some thought that he might not be ready for this tournament in terms of his health. He is, and that gives USA another player with high-level junior experience that can make some plays uh, and and you know be a guy that that brings size and experience to the team. So very good there. Um, you know, so there's a lot there's a lot to kind of break down with the Holinka Gretzky Cup. You know, like the one thing I would say, it's an important event for evaluation. We actually have a question later that I'll, I'll dive into this a little bit more, um, but it is a baseline. This is, this is not an event where a player's draft stock is going to be made or broken. I don't think you can hurt your draft stock here as much as you can help it. Um, but then I also think that you have to take the results with a grain of salt. But if you do look back, the top performing players of the Holinka Gretzky Cup year in and year out 
are high draft picks. They're they're typically draft not every single year, um, but most years there are high draft picks and they are players that you are going to hear about the entire season. Um, last year, Team Canada was led in scoring by Callum Ritchie. He was a first round draft pick. You know, Zach Benson was a key figure. Other players that went in the first round, Colby Barlow. You know, they were guys that that made their names at that tournament. But this is also a tournament that can can kind of mislead you sometimes because a player might be more prepared in the summer than some of the other guys, and he plays better. Um, a player might be more physically developed at this point than some of those players. And over the course of the season, that changes a little bit. So you do have to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But I'll get into that a little bit more later because I do want to talk about some college hockey recruiting as well. And I, before I get to that, just want to remind you, the, the Holinka Gretzky Cup, it's an eight-team tournament. It will go July 31st to August 5th. I believe NHL Network will be airing all USA games and I believe some Canada games as well during the course of this event. Um, TSN has it in Canada. Um, and so if you wanted to get your hockey fix this summer, the Holinka Gretzky Cup is a great way to do it. I will be watching it from afar as well because I'll be at the World Junior Summer Showcase. But it is an intriguing event, and it creates that baseline, which is uh, what we kind of use to set the set the tone for the season. Um, and and it's it's a good one for that for sure. All right, moving on to some college hockey recruiting, and there was massive news in the college recruiting world. Now I caught wind at some point. I believe about a month ago that Michigan state or that, sorry, that Artem Lev Shudov, the defenseman for the green Bay gamblers, who I have number three on my early list for the top 20 or the top prospects of 2024 was trying to find a way to get into college this year. Now he is uh, a late 2006 birthday. So that is, or sorry, late 2005 birthday. And so, you know, in terms of getting all the academics and everything in order, that apparently was taken care of. Then there was a bit of a recruiting battle, and the team that ends up getting him is the Michigan State Spartans. And what a huge recruiting coup this is for Michigan State. I, when I first heard this news, I wondered about how Levshunov was going to be able to get eligibility. There's a lot of different hoops you have to jump through as an international student. There's a lot of academic things that you have to do, but there are exams that you can take. Um, English is a second language. There's a different barrier of entry for those players as well, um, especially. And you look at you look at a guy like Levshunov, Belarus is he's Belarusian, uh, was not going to be able to play in the CHL because they they put a ban on Belarusian and Russian players in their import draft, and he went to the USHL last year had a sensational rookie season. He was an all-rookie selection, third-team all-league, and you know outproduced in a raw point total what Owen Power did in his draft minus one season. So pretty impressive stuff. Michigan State had already gotten Maxime Sturback to flip his commitment from Vermont to there. Um, they have Trey Augustine, who we mentioned, who's going to be Team USA starting goalie. They've also had a gigantic influx of transfers and really good players. Red Savage, two-time member of the U.S. World Junior Team. Isaac Howard, first-round pick of the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, they, they've got guys like Reed Lebster, who, who won a national championship with UMass as a graduate transfer. Um, there are a lot of quality players coming into the program there at Michigan State. And to add Artem Levshunov, who is a, a top-tier draft prospect, like he, I think he'll be the first defenseman taken um, in the 2024 NHL draft, at least at this early stage. A lot can happen between now and next June. But at that early stage, so we're talking about a blue chip prospect, one that you didn't necessarily expect you were going to have in a position of need. And now you've got both him and Maxime Sturbeck, two foreign players coming in to be top tier uh, defensemen and import players. And you've revamped your blue line. You've got good forwards up front. You've got a, a top quality goaltender in Augustine. And you have to say Adam Nightingale and his staff have really turned things around quickly at Michigan State. They've got the renovations to Monterino, which was overseen. You know, you got to give credit to the previous regime there. Danton Cole, longtime coach there, you know, getting the renovations done at Mun. He was a big person on the front lines of that. 
And without that, I don't think, you know, necessarily the success comes as easily. Um, and it's not to say that it's easy because I think Michigan State has such a, they still have a ways to go to be a top tier contender in the Big Ten. But this team that they have really does give them a chance. And if Lev Shunov is able to, to get, you know, to, to break through here and be a top top tier player as he was in the USHL last year, you got to be impressed. You, you simply have to be impressed. I think if you are the Michigan State Spartans and if you're a fan of the Michigan State Spartans, I can't tell you how big of a coup that is to get Artem Levshunov. I think he's a great skater. He's got size. He's a right shot defenseman. He can score. Um, he gets into plays. He's got, you know, there the sky is the limit for this young man. And, you know, see that he was able to come in, play for the Green Bay Gamblers last year, get comfortable in North America, learn English, learn how to drive, um, you know, a lot of good things there. But yeah, number three prospect going into the season for me um, on my way too early top 10. Uh, and I, I don't think he's going to move too much from there um, in the next couple of months as uh, as we continue to watch his progress. All right, so we've got that. Michigan State, that's that's current. But August 1st is also a very important date on the recruiting recruiting calendar. Basically, the next class of recruits of the top-tier guys, based on NCAA rules, they're going to finally be able to be recruited. Most of them probably have had some conversations with teams or you know, informal things here and there. But there is a really good group of, of young players including one that we'll see at the World Junior Summer Showcase this week. So um, August 1st is when the, the, the 2007 born players in the late 2006s are going to be able to formally uh, commit to school um, and, and, and do, what they, do what they have to do to, to go to those schools. So basically, you know, just want to give you a couple of names to think about. And the, the one that, that is most notable is a guy who I think could be a top-tier prospect for the 2025 draft. And that's James Hagens from the National Team Development Program. Play on the under-18 team as an underager last year. Uh, absolutely torched alongside Cole Iserman, the under-17 World Hockey Challenge. Um, you know, you, you look at him and, and the way that he plays, and you see a lot of those kind of similarities between the guys like Jack Hughes and Logan Cooley. You see that speed, that that creativity, that playmaking ability, that vision. Um, that's a guy where he can come in and, and really change your program. His brother, Michael, is committed to Harvard, um, and some believe that, that may give James uh, or Harvard the inside track on James. Um, you know, we've seen top-tier talent go there. Obviously, they've already got Adam Fox, who won a Norris Trophy there. Um, you know, you look historically, and they just had guys like Matt Coronado, Sean Farrell, um, you know, to, that they came in and, and pretty quickly established themselves as top-tier prospects if they weren't believed to be already. And so we'll see if that works out well. Uh, but James Hagen's New York native, top quality player. I mean, we're talking about a guy that could be a, a big time player at the collegiate level, um, and whoever gets him will be real happy. But currently uncommitted, um, and we'll see what, what how long it takes for him to announce his intentions. Uh, but we should see a lot of commitments uh, in that first week of August there. Some of the other names to know, LJ Mooney, one of the top 2007-born players. He is the cousin of Logan Cooley. Um, undersized, but incredibly skilled and dynamic. Very exciting player. Cullen Potter, um, the son of uh, former U.S. Olympian Jenny Potter. Um, he is a guy that is definitely going to get a lot of attention uh, from throughout the countries. Both Mooney and Potter playing for the national team development program next year. Uh, Logan Hensler currently on the U.S. Uh, will be on the U.S. under 18 team this year. He's another guy that is getting uh, pursued pretty, uh, pretty well. Um, one guy that just committed, E.J. Emery, committed to the University of North Dakota. That's a big commit for for Nodak there. You know, he's a he's a high upside individual. Didn't have a lot of points last year, but an incredible athlete and absolutely you know, has the mobility, the the power. Um, and as he gets stronger, he could add that more physical element. That's going to be a guy that gets a lot of attention um, as as a potential commit. Um, but you know, Logan Hensler is another guy that's getting pursued very uh, you know very strongly by a number of top tier programs. Some of the guys that you'll see in the USHL soon, uh, Sasha Boumedien, uh, Lucas Sachin, you know, who, whose brother uh, Grayson went the collegiate or went the WHL route last year. You know, does Lucas do that same thing? He's going to play for the Chicago Steel next year. You know, these are just a few of the players that are going to be very highly sought after in the recruiting space. And we'll get to those 
um, a little bit more throughout the rest of the season. Um, you know, as, as these guys make commitments, keep an eye out. We'll certainly be covering some of the top tier players that are committing to schools this week. Um, but uh, the ones that we mentioned there are some some top quality guys that I think a lot of programs are are going to be hard hard after. So uh, we like seeing it, and it's certainly uh, the the talent pool in the United States continues to get better and better and better and better. And with that, you know, I think that we we're, we're on the cusp of of yet another class of of really exciting young players. I know there's a lot of people excited about what the 2007 born class is going to bring to the table. All right, before we move on to our question and answer period, which, uh, you know, we've got some questions that will we'll get us through to the uh, the next little bit here. But before we get to that, just want to remind you, another way to scratch that hockey itch this summer is with the Beauty League. It's one of the premier summer hockey events. It is on Flow Hockey. You can follow it in a variety of ways on YouTube Live, on Facebook Live and on flowhockey.tv, free to watch and a great chance to see some of your favorite NHL players, especially those guys that grew up, were born and raised in Minnesota, playing near home and having a great time on the ice at Braemar Arena. Three games a night, every night. Starting on July 31st, there will be two game nights a weekend, Mondays and Wednesdays for the rest of the summer. We will have three games of hockey. It's informal, but boy, is it fun to watch. We've seen some spectacular goals we've even seen a couple of physical plays and certainly you get to see a lot of nhl stars as they get ready for their season uh the beauty league it's such a great cause they they support a ton of charities and i gotta say if you haven't seen it yet check out all the highlights that we've been posting on flowhockey.tv and the flow hockey youtube page goals of the week things like that eric holla pulled out a beauty of a backhand last week we saw the jackson jackson and noah cates combining for a goal we saw Jason Zucker score five in a game, you know, and Vinny Letary scored five in a game. So make sure you are watching that. It might be summer hockey, but it is a lot of fun to watch. And uh, we love uh, seeing that from the beauty league as uh, it supports charity. And then on top of that, it's a great way for NHL players to get in shape. Jake Getzel, Ryan McDonough, Brady Shea, Brock Nelson, just a few of the NHL players that we've seen in recent weeks. All right. I'm going to take a sip of water, and then we're going to get into this question. I need to get that sip in because, as we mentioned, it's a national heat wave. It's very hot outside, and apparently I'm very dry as well, as you can probably tell by my voice here uh, in these hot summer months. But let's get to the questions. And this is a question about the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Uh, because we want to talk about that a little bit more, and I mentioned it before. So this one comes from Andrew. Andrew asks, can you talk a bit about the specific importance of the Holinka? How much can it help or hurt these players who still have a full season to go? Andrew, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think one thing that I've learned about the Holinka is the, the, the most important thing that it does, and I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. The most th- important thing it does is it sets a bit of a baseline. It allows us to identify players. Um, it you know, basically Hockey Canada, USA Hockey, the other, they, they've done all the work and they've gotten some of their best together. It's not, you know, it's not a best on best because we don't have the top tier, all the top American players. Finland is not sending their best U18 players to this. Um, so, you know, there is absolutely a little bit of, of that that kind of um, changes the dynamic a little bit of, of the tournament. So it's, you know, it's been billed as a best on best tournament. It just, it isn't. Canada does send their very best possible roster, um, though they will be without Macklin Celebrini this year because he is injured, uh, recovering from uh, off-season surgery and, and very well could miss the beginning of the season at Boston University this year. But in terms of, you know, lingering, like this will help us set our early lists. It's not, you know, and, and early lists, you know, I did my way too early top 10 already you know, there's going to be a lot of changes. I, I mean, there hasn't been a year where I haven't put a, t- a guy even in the honorable mention of that list that, you know, may not even be drafted. So much happens over the course of the season. But this does give us a, a baseline on a whole bunch of players. It gives us ideas of who we should watch closer. It gives us ideas of, you know, where guys are starting from, and then we can compare that to where they finish. 
especially at events like the under 18 world championship, various international tournaments that you know Canada doesn't play in, but a lot of these other teams do. It's a great chance for us in the public to see more of these players that we haven't zoned in on because we were focused on the previous year's draft. Like we're definitely keeping tabs on the next classes, um, but you know, not in as great a number as you would like. So this does help kind of set a little bit more of a, of a pool to kind of view and, and look at and say, okay, who are these guys? Where are we going to put them now? And then how do we categorize them later? And then really the thing is, is in terms of importance, the importance is everything. Everything is important. You take everything collectively. No one event or game or week is as is, is more important than the others, really. I mean, in the end, you're trying to create a, a full picture. So it's all just more information gathering. And like I said before, I think you can help yourself at the Holinka. I don't think you can hurt yourself. There isn't any guy that's going to play in this tournament where it's like, well, this guy's definitely off the list because we all know that what they do in the summer does not necessarily equate what they're going to do throughout the rest of their season. I mean, there are some guys that you you might have seen at the Holinka Gretzky Cup. You said this guy doesn't have a chance, and that might have colored your opinion for the rest of the season. But you have to allow yourself to erase previous viewings and just experience the player as they go forward. So, you know, for for us, it def, it definitely helps kind of create a little bit of a clearinghouse for. Um, some of those European players, and then, you know, you continue to expand that list as the year goes on. All right. Great question, Andrew. Thank you for that one. Next one comes from Alex. And this is, uh, we've gotten this question before on here, but I figure we might as well update it a little bit. But this one comes from Alex and he asks, what do you make of the trend of high-end Canadian players going to the NCAA route, like Owen Power, Adam Fantilli, Kent Johnson, and now Macklin Celebrini. Well, the thing is, is and, and put, also puts trend in kind of this uh, parentheses, like, is it a trend? And you're kind of right. I don't think that's enough players to equate a trend. Um, you know, certainly it's interesting um, to see that happen. Um, here's what I think part of the reason this works is. So the players that we all had there, all those players decided that they were going to play in a league at age 16 that gave them options. They maintained their college eligibility. In the cases of Power, Fantilli, and Celebrini, it was the Chicago Steel and the USHL. In the case of Ken Johnson, it was the BCHL. And that allowed them to maintain their options. Now, in Celebrini's case, he is a very young player for his draft class. He's only just turned 17. Now, so so he had to accelerate his schooling in order to have the opportunity to make the jump to college hockey a year early. So he will be in college hockey at 17 years old as one of the youngest players in the entire country. And that opportunity to play at 17 at the collegiate level is another push forward. So I've always said that the college route and the CHL route provide a mountain of benefits for very different in very different ways. The one thing that I think you look at a guy like Celebrini or or Fantilli or Power, they were seeking an opportunity to play up a little bit. I think college hockey is more of a hybrid between pro hockey and junior hockey than, you know, ju- the guys that make the jump from junior straight to pro hockey. It's not to say you know, that that's makes it better. It just, it's different. You're challenged in a different way. You're playing against players that are sometimes 24 and 25 years old, especially now with the COVID year of eligibility added. Some guys could even be 26 in, in college hockey. I know there are people that have a problem with that, but that's one of the benefits of college hockey is that you play against stronger competition and that pushes you in a different way. So in the case of Adam Fantilli, he was able to not just be a great college player. He was a dominant college player. And now he's able to take that step into the pro hockey immediately. Um, not to say there are plenty of guys that do it from junior, you know, Connor Bedard is going to do it from junior to, to, to pro hockey immediately as well. But I think it's the opportunity to keep your options open longer. If you're younger, you have that opportunity to potentially accelerate your schooling and then play at a higher level 
or against older, stronger competition to better prepare yourself for the NHL. Um, with additionally with more practice time and weight training time. And that's a big benefit as well. You know, Adam Fantilli talked about the fact that, you know, initially college was not on his radar. He had planned to go to the OHL for much of his life, but his brother goes to prep school in the U S and, and then Adam Fantilli did that. You had, you know, kind of a lot of things percolating. Then you have the pandemic. So he kind of got lucky that he chose the USHL route and then the pandemic shuts down the OHL. So he would have lost a year there. And so he just keeps moving through. And then he goes to Michigan and he's the number three draft pick and he's already signed his NHL contract and he'll probably be on the opening night roster next year. And I think that's what some of these players want. Now, in the case of Owen Power, he and Ken Johnson, they both opted to return for another year of college. Uh, Macklin Celebrini could opt to return for another year of college after next season, though it's likely that whoever drafts him is going to want him to sign right away. But it gives you options, and I think that that's probably the most enticing thing. Also, it's, you know, the the people that advise these players are often similar. You know, Owen Power and Adam Fantilli have the same agent, you know, so it's like it's, it you know, the, there is a track record there. Um, you know, all the other guys that we talked about all went to Michigan. Celebrini is going to be you, so it's a little bit of a different experience there. Um, so he kind of breaks the trend in a couple of different ways. But yeah, but I mean, I think that the, the the opportunity to have options is probably one of the biggest reasons that this happens. Um, and I don't think it's a trend because it's not happening as widespread. But the fact that so many of these guys that are top five picks are making that decision is quite interesting. And it is something that I think we'll continue to see to a certain extent um, for, for a while. And it, it's quite interesting to see. All right. We're going back to the World Junior Summer Showcase here, and this one comes to us from at Avco Cup. Sorry about that. At Avco Cup. I thought I lost my, I thought I lost my whole broadcast there for a second. Um, from Avco Cup, this one is, USA seems to have invited a pretty even mix of big defensemen and small defensemen to the World Junior Summer Showcase. Do you think, or do you think the final World Junior roster will lean more towards the bigger guys or the smaller guys this year? Uh, it's a good question, but I, I think actually it'll probably be a combination of both. I think the mix here, you know, as we mentioned in our previous uh, segment about the World Junior Summer Showcase is this isn't the strongest group um, of defensemen. So I don't think that you have the the luxury of, um, you don't have the luxury of, of being picky on size. I think that you kind of have to take the guys that you feel are the best fits, but, you know, quite frankly, you only have a couple of guys that are six foot one or taller in your group. Um, let's see, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, seven of the options that you have, and that's 16 defensemen. So less than half of your defensemen are six, one or taller. Um, and then you're looking at potentially having a number one defenseman in Lane Hudson, who's, you know, five, nine, um, you know, and then Ryan Chesley, who would probably play pretty significant minutes, six foot. You have to figure that, you know, Seamus Casey is going to be there five, 10, you know, so I think that you do want to try to find some balance. And that's why guys like Garrett Brown, Sam Renzel, um, you know, the Jackson Dorrington, Drew Fortescue, those are players that are bigger players. And you say, do they fit within our team? Are they going to are they going to click? Can they play at the world junior pace? Can they make the decisions that we need them to make? You know, I think that there are going to be some very, very difficult decisions to be made on the blue line this year. And that's because I think there is a bit of a talent gap. You know, like I don't think that this is the strongest group that we've seen. And you know, there there isn't with beyond Lane Hudson, there isn't that guy where you say, you know, this guy's going to give us a ton of minutes at this tournament. Now that could change over time that as these guys go through their season, maybe somebody kind of raises to the top, but this is not necessarily an easy call to make. So team USA's blue line, that competition, I think it's wide open. They have a lot of good options. They have guys that are, you know, definitely more defensive minded. And then they have a really strong group of offensive minded defensemen with Lane Hudson being, you know, by far the best of the group. So, um, we'll have to wait and see exactly how it shakes out. But I think that there will be a balance. I don't think that you can have, you know, an entire decor that's sub six foot. And I don't think that that's what they want to do. 
Um, and so, you know, it, it, sometimes you do leave a little bit of talent on the table to try to get heavier, bigger, you know, just being more disruptive. Um, you don't have to necessarily, you know, have a guy, you're, you're one through seven defensemen don't all have to be outstanding puck movers in a short tournament. You're going to need some guys that are disruptive, that are hard to play against, that are physical. Um, and there just isn't a ton of that at a high level for this team. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how that shakes out. All right, we move on to our next question from, and this is an international hockey question and one that I, I'm, I'm, I, I enjoy here. So it's at views on puck. And this question is after two great years in 2020 and 2021, it seems like the German development of prospects is once again, badly struggling, just got relegated at the U18s and have fared poorly at the Holinka recently. Is there a reason for this and any reason why Slovakia has overtaken them? I think, you know, it kind of comes down to demographics. Um, we're in a cycle right now where Germany's down a bit and Slovakia is way up. And it seems like Slovakia is up and continuing up. I don't think we're going to necessarily see as many first round, you know, high first round draft picks, but you know, you had Slavkovsky and Dvorsky and Nemich and, you know, all these, you know, you've got Maxime Sturback this year, um, Adam Guyon, you know, there, there are, we, we're in a, a bit of a resurgent age for Slovakian hockey, just as we were for Germany with Tim Stutzla and Lucas Reichel and JJ Paterka. Um, and, you know, and also there was, you know, the, the, the Pyeongchang Olympics where Germany took silver you know, and, and some of their young guys came through. Um, I think with the smaller hockey nations, there's a lot, there's, it, there's a lot more of a cyclical nature to it. Um, you know, you look at Finland right now and Finland doesn't have the depth that it's had in the last couple of years. Sweden has more, um, you know, and, and you look at the, there's still a good chunk of Russian players, even though they're not involved in international hockey, won't be playing at the Holinka, won't be playing at the world juniors. Um, you know, but to, to, go to Germany specifically, they're already dealing with a smaller player pool. Um, and so it's harder to maintain that upward momentum. You're going to have those cyclical kind of, we have a great birth year where just all the guys and, and those guys make each other better and they're making the rest of the group better. Um, you know, so I, I wouldn't necessarily be alarmed by it. One thing I will say too about Slovakia is that there's been a concerted effort in that country over the last several years to increase their development at the U20 level, they've, they've had, you know, standing national teams that played in their, in their, their pro leagues. They've had, um, you know, different things that they've done to try and enhance and, and, and formalize their development of these players. And I think it's worked to a certain extent. It's created more opportunities. Um, the other thing that I think is, is also important about Slovakia is they have not necessarily been um, like they haven't, been selfish about their players, I guess. They haven't said that we, the only way to develop these players is through our own system. You know, you look at Slavkovsky going, a different number of players have gone through Finland's leagues. Um, Dalibor Dvorsky played in Sweden. Um, you know, guys are going to the CHL. Philip Mayshar played in the CHL last year. You know, so there are players, but then you also have guys like Simon Nemec who do play at home. Um, and I think there's also been a concerted effort on the club side in Slovakia to get more young players in. Um, and that was true in Germany. Germany was trying to get more of those guys into the DEL games and different things like that. Moritz Sider benefited from that. Tim Stutzla benefited from that. So, you know, there are a lot of things that, that Germany was doing kind of in a similar vein. Um, but I do think that there's value in, in letting some of these players explore you know, other developmental opportunities and, and going other places in greater number, um, you know, we're starting to see a number of German players go the college route. That's been true for, for years now um, where you, you get a number of players and you'll see them pop up on the German national team. You don't necessarily see them pop up in the NHL as much. Um, but, you know, there are certainly a lot of players that, that have that opportunity. So uh, to me, I just think it's cyclical. I don't think that there is a, an underlying, you know, damage to German hockey. I'd have to research it a lot more. Um, and just kind of also look at the demographics. How is hockey growing? You know, I think we're going to see there's could be a bit of a lull as we get kind of the pandemic era of player as well, where maybe we missed a generation of players that would have started hockey in 
the COVID years or things like that. There's a lot of things we can't know about that. Um, but I think that what you have to look at is the positive that Germany had been on the rise for so long that it that it, they had had guys like Cider and you know Drysital is going to create. I, I think there's going to be a Drysital effect as well over time in in Germany where that is going to really pop players to see, hey, there's a guy that was among the best in the world, you know, German athlete of the year one year. You know, this is a guy that that is going to inspire a country, and I think that's going to only continue, and and that'll be true of Cider and Reichel and and Stutzla and um, Paterka and and that group that is kind of taking the mantle alongside Dreisaitl and being that next wave. So plenty to look forward to there, but a good question. I always like getting those. They're a little off the beaten path. All right, our last question for today, and there are a few that I wasn't able to get to, but I'll get to them next week or in two weeks when we're back. This one comes from Nam Danan, and this is a, a little bit of combining draft classes, and I, I, this is always fun. Um, hoping you can rank, compare, and contrast Simon Nemec and David versus David Juracek versus David Reinbacher versus Dmitry Simashev. I'm especially curious how Simashev stacks up against the other three in your estimation. If you have time, curious about how they compare to 24s like Levshunov and Dickinson. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks for the question there, um, Nam Denan. Um, I think that uh, the the it, it's a hard question to answer because you know you're obviously dealing with a lot of different information, and so you know if I'm just judging it solely on upside, um, I think that of the guys that we're talking about, I, I would have Artem Levshunov number one. And I would consider having Sam Dickinson number two in that group. I think that the class of defensemen we have coming up are exceptional. Um, I'm less married to Dickinson at number two because I I really am very, very high on David Juracek. I think that he's going to be a, a top tier um, you know, NHL defenseman. I think his offensive game is is coming along nicely. I think he defends well. I like his mobility. When I've seen him in top-level competitions, he always steps up. I just think that as an NHL player, he's going to be very strong. Simon Nemec, same thing. Um, I, ha- I would have both Juracek and Nemec ahead of David Reinbacher, um, and I would have them ahead of Dmitry Simashev. So that said, you know, I think of all of those players, Simashev might be the best pure defender. Uh, but what he lacks offensively is, you know, is where the other players make up ground on him. I think Simashev is a really good player. I had him pretty low on my draft board. A lot of that was due to the Russian factor. And then on top of that, the, you know, perceived lack of offensive upside. I didn't, didn't see enough this year from him to suggest to me that he's going to be a, a productive defenseman. And I think that in the modern NHL, it's very hard for you to be a top pairing defenseman if you are not um, offensively productive. And, and I don't know if he will be, I do think he's a top four defenseman. I think there's a potential to be a top pairing defenseman, a guy that plays tight matchups. You know, I think there's a Ryan Suter element to him, uh, to a certain extent where he is going to be a guy that eats a ton of minutes and can, you know, play in a lot of different situations. Um, but you know, I, I think that, He's he's behind this group in terms of the offensive capabilities. Um, the one guy, you know, Sam Dickinson, I think is a really outstanding athlete. He's got goal scoring ability. He can move pucks. He's got skating ability. Um, you know, I think it's a little early in the game for me to 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 you know to put him in that conversation. Um, you know, so I think he'd, you know he'd trail a little bit there. You know, I but I said it like in terms of potential. You know, I, I at this very very early stage. You know, I I think there's a case for him to be the second best. But, you know, the thing about Artem Levshunov, I've watched him up close. I've seen him at the beginning of the season, at the end of the season, I saw a player that has all of the tools and all of the makings of a number one defenseman. I really do believe that. And I think that his offensive game is, is advanced. I think that he defends well. I think he's got good mobility. Um, You know, I think that if, if he, he, you know, puts, continues to put it all together. And if he has that big season at Michigan state, like I think he will, you know, he's going to be a very um, highly regarded guy in this upcoming draft and potentially, you know, one of those defensemen that kind of leaps over um, the last couple of classes of defensemen where we thought, you know, Hey, there, there's some really good players in there. Is there, are they great? You know, and I, I also think you look at, you know, a guy like Lane Hudson with his size He's not in that conversation. He wasn't part of this exercise, but you have to throw, you know, you look at the dynamic elements that he brings to the table um, and he, you know, is he different enough to make that all work? So fascinated to see that and exactly what, you know, what everything, 
how everything happens with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is, that is a really, really interesting, um, you know, kind of thought exercise with, uh, with all that. So, um, pretty, pretty fascinated to see exactly where those guys end up. Um, and I do believe that, uh, I do believe that Dmitry Simashev, who I'm sure that that question was mostly about, um, is going to be a very good NHL defenseman. And that's a good group to be among regardless. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for me today. Uh, we've, we've had a, a lot of fun. As I mentioned, we will be going every other week on the podcast for the next couple of weeks, but you can always keep up with us on the Flow Hockey YouTube page, certainly flowhockey.tv. There will be a ton, a ton of World Junior Summer Showcase coverage. We'll have more on the Holinka Gretzky Cup. We'll have more on college recruiting. We'll have more on Logan Cooley as we record this. Still not confirmed, but seems very, very likely he is going to be an Arizona Coyote here in the next little bit. Wish we could have confirmed that for you, but uh, that's the way it goes. And then, um, you know, just make sure that you are following this podcast in as many ways possible. Download us on your app of choice. Subscribe to us on your app of choice. Watch us on Flow Hockey. Uh, TV and the Flow Hockey YouTube page, the Flow Sports app. Um, a lot of exciting things are coming very soon to Flow Hockey. We'll be able to talk about those more in our next episode. There's so much to go. Watch the Beauty League. Watch Talking Hockey Sense. Listen to it. Stay with us. Check out all of our stuff because we are going to have a ton of coverage. And it's only summer. So imagine what the regular season is going to look like. Can't wait to get there. Hope you guys stay cool. This uh, very, very hot summer. Make sure you're staying with us. A huge thanks to everybody that asked questions today. My thanks to Tyler for producing as well. And my thanks to you for joining us. However, you did join us here, whether watching or listening. It's been a lot of fun. It's great to be back. A lot more to come in the coming weeks. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We'll catch you next time.